Hey, I'm Elise, and this is the Courage Project podcast, a place where I share vulnerable and open conversations about the ways I am choosing to live more consciously and return to who I truly am. May this be a sanctuary for you to meet more of yourself and to embrace the fullness of life. Today we have a guest coming on the podcast, and that is Alex Hardy. Now, I met Alex in my yoga teacher training here in Bali, and I knew I needed to bring him on the show because we've had so many inspiring and expansive conversations, both during and after our yoga teacher training, that I knew would be so valuable for you to hear too. So in this conversation, we explored all the things about Alex's journey from hustling in his career on Wall Street in New York to a more soul-nourishing and meaningful life here in Bali, but also in other cultures and communities around the world. We speak to spirituality in a few different lenses, and we define some of the common terms in this realm. One question we answer, which was really interesting, was, are you your body? So stay tuned to hear a discussion on that. (laughs) We speak to the masculine experience a lot. And this was such an interesting conversation because it's something that I really can't speak too much from my own perspective because I don't have much of an experience as a man or I don't have any of an experience as a man. So we speak to Alex's perspective and interpretation of some of the cultural norms about what it means to be a man and what he has had to suppress in order to fulfill those norms. We speak about going against the grain and leaning into intuition as a man, where the only way of being in this world that's really supported is using your logic to go about life. We also speak to what support men need to encourage a more integrated life in terms of having space for both their masculine and feminine energies to exist, which are energies that we speak to quite a lot as well. We discuss the ripple effect of men's work, as this is work that Alex is stepping into largely in the world, and the impact of men receiving the support they actually need to integrate those masculine and feminine energies in the ways that they show up in life. Other topics around this masculine experience include men receiving conflicting messages about how to be a man in the world, and the impact that Alex has experienced in having the support and these kinds of open spaces like men's circles to help him to integrate all of himself and exist in the world in a more harmonious way. Lastly, we speak to the stigma around this men's work and these men's circles that Alex has been a part of and facilitating and how we can have compassion for all populations of people, men included. So... As you can tell, this conversation is going to be jam-packed, full of juicy nuggets and interesting perspectives, and something that's kind of unique to the podcast as well, as we haven't really had many masculine voices or perspectives on the Courage Project podcast thus far. So I'm excited for you to listen in and hopefully learn a thing or two from Alex's experience If this conversation does resonate with you, please let me know on Instagram DMs. And if you found it valuable, please share it with someone that you think might also love the conversation. 
it really helps me to get this show around and expand the community that we have here in the Courage Project podcast space. And lastly, if you are enjoying the show and you've been listening for a little while, or even if today is just your first episode but you love the episode, please hop on to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review or rating. It really helps me and it means the world to get to read those reviews. So, without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Yeah, welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Elise. As we say in the yogic world, namaste. Um, (laughs) Good start to the podcast. We're going full spiritual. I love it. Namaste. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I think like where I'd love to start is giving people a little bit of an insight into where you're coming from. I know you've been in the corporate world um, very deep. And I'd love to hear your story from the corporate world to where you are now in this kind of like self-discovery journey yeah yeah it's a it's a long and windy tale um so i started out in my career on wall street and i worked in a very cutthroat environment where making money was the only thing that mattered and we were working very long hours and it was kind of it was a grind and after a few years of that i got somewhat burnt out and wanted something a little bit more, you know, doing good for the world, if you will. And so I left and got into tech and I worked in the tech world for for a while, for about five years. I actually started my own company and um, sold that company to a much bigger company. And um, yeah, there was a lot of interesting lessons and learnings there, but ultimately, in my close to 10 years in the corporate world, I really, by the end of it, um, was not, felt like my soul really wasn't being nourished. And I can talk about the story about how I, about how I left, um, which is a little dramatic, but I think il- illustrates the point um, and kind of chose to follow something that I thought brought me a little more alive. Yeah, I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. yeah. So... I sold my company to a much larger tech company. I was working at DocuSign, was the company that bought us. And um, about two years in, after we sold the um, the business, just to give background, the um, the company that I started was was a video conferencing company. So we started it in 2015, and it was a hyper secure video conference. So this was before zoom i think existed or zoom had been very young nobody was using it yet um before we even knew we needed video before conferencing. we knew we video conferencing yes i like to think i was like you know for you know uh prophetic but i think i was just i was just lucky um maybe maybe so we started in 2015 and then built it for about five years and in 2020 2020 rolls around and lo and behold it's a very good time to be in the video conferencing business. Okay. No <laughs> um, yeah, and so our world kind of got turned upside down in addition to everyone's. And we sold the company to DocuSign. And so I ended up working at DocuSign, which is a 10,000 person massive company for a couple of years. And towards, you know, about two and a half years in, I was kind of feeling ready to leave. And I, my time had kind of come. I was curious about other things going on, you know, in the world, I was getting more, much more interested in spirituality. 
And so I went to my bosses and said, guys, I think it's time that I move on. It's been really fun, but I, I'm, I'm done. Um, and they came back to me and said, uh, we really want to keep you. We'll do whatever we can to keep you. We'll pay you more money. We'll give you less responsibility. We'll, we'll do all of these things. And so I was like, wasn't super convinced, but I was ready to hear them out. You know, I wanted to hear, see what was on the table. And so they came back to me. They made me a, an offer. It was fine. It was, you know, nothing special. Didn't knock my socks off. And so I was prepared for a second time now to go and try and quit. And I was getting my, you know, I'm co- I can be conflict avoidant. So I was getting preparing my like notes of how I was going to let them down gently. And then this voice in the back of my head said, Alex, you know, instead of you having to disappoint them by quitting, why not make them a crazy counteroffer? And that way they'll reject you and you won't have to have a, a guilty conscience about abandoning your people that you brought over to DocuSign or your coworkers or whatever. Talk about conflict avoidance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had this ultimate uh, this, this, you know, what I thought was like a surefire way that it would be win-win. They would be able to easily say no, I would have a clean conscience, and then we'd be on our way. So I go back to them, and I say, thank you for your offer. Um, unfortunately, I really can't stay for anything less than three times what you offered me. <laughs> so, <Bold. laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you've ever negotiated for anything but um typically you know you're saying you need five percent more or ten percent more or something like that not yeah. like triple so um i was expected i was expecting to get laughed out of the room i was expecting them to say you know for things to go how i hoped they would go and to my surprise uh and kind of my horror they said uh okay that three times that that sounds reasonable um let me i'll take it up the food chain and let me see what i can do Negotiation so, tactics from Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. So, um, so this unfolded over the course of like two weeks. My boss took it to his boss, took it to his boss. Again, this is a 10,000 person company, so it has to go through a lot of layers of bureaucracy. And it got all the way up to the number two person at DocuSign. And um, she approved of the offer. And over the course of this of these two weeks, I found myself waking up every day praying that they would reject me, that they would say no. There was something deeply like, like visceral that I could really feel in my body that was saying that this was the wrong, this was the wrong opportunity for me. This is not where I should be. And I had never really tuned in like that to my body in, in making important decisions before. And so these, these two weeks unfold, and by the end of it, they come back and say, okay, Alex, it's approved. You'll be able to, you know, we just need you to sign. And I'm not sure how, but I mustered the courage, really, and said, thank you for the offer. I've thought with it. I've sat with it. And unfortunately, there's no amount of money and no change of responsibility that is going to make this job the right fit for me. And so I left without a plan, without really anything other than, you know, following my intuition, which is what that ended up being. So like 
I know. I just think of that in terms of what I would say probably most people would do in that situation is accept that offer. I mean, logically, you're offered so much money. That's the logical, correct thing to do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, what was it? Was it intuition? What was it that kind of made you go the other direction? It was... It was, it was definitely a big part of the intuition, the felt bodily sense. It was like, oh my God, if I feel this wrong, even before I've accepted it, then I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine living the next year or more, waking up every day with that feeling. So it was like, you know, kind of a fear of that feeling almost, or really feeling how low vibration that, that feeling was. Um, and then there was also just a sense of, of like selling out, of like putting a dollar value on my soul, mm -hmm. which yeah. felt very wrong and felt very like transactional and felt very, yeah, I've, I've spent so much of the last, you know, five or six or seven years kind of like delving into different spiritual practices and trying to understand what it means to live a good life. And it felt, it just felt so misaligned to, you know, say, okay, yeah, here's like the price you can put on, you know, buying my time, my work life balance and my soul for another another year. Yeah. And it sounds like at that point in your life, you were quite in touch with that and being able to see like intuitively that this was not right for you. Like, I feel like intuition is something that kind of grows over time. It's almost like a muscle, you know, mm. you use it and it gets stronger and it works in bigger situations. Did you have like a lot of experience with kind of leaning into your intuition before that? Because I know you were coming from corporate world, which often can be pretty like unconscious going about life. Yes. Type of lifestyle. I was very cut off from my intuition. I jokingly have said that I lived life via spreadsheet. Um, that was like how I made decisions, basically. And in the finance world and even in the tech world, you are... Um, you're rewarded for making having your decision making be legible, be understandable by other people. And there's very much an emphasis placed on having a justification for why you do anything and everything. And I saw that that was leaking over into my personal life as well. I'm one of these people that, you know, wanted to, you know, go to like the highest rated restaurants or get the best deal on a flight that I was taking or, you know, all of these um, optimizations in life, like living life optimally, I think was something that was very deeply embedded into me. And I wanted to make decisions optimally as well. And for me, what optimal meant in that case was like having a, being able to point to objective criteria for why it was the right decision. And if I could show people external to me that I was doing a decision for this reason or that reason and that, you know, for either to make the most money or to have the most fun or to have the most downtime, there had to be some objective measure. And like, I got an intuitive hit to do something just wasn't, wasn't in my vocabulary at all. At that point, I was very uncomfortable doing it. And so I found myself relying a lot on external um, factors to help guide my decision making and almost never tapped into my intuition over the past probably 20 years, maybe longer. Yeah. And do you, would you say this was kind of one of the first times that you did then? Yeah. Yeah. I think this was the most important thing I had ever listened to my intuition on. 
and it was really the first time I tuned in and followed my intuition about something in my adult life. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. And that, I guess, is probably like the one decision that's kind of catabolized into where you are now. And you're currently kind of more in a spiritual path, correct? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like, how did you how did you get into this spirituality? Like, how did that decision to leave now lead you into this kind of pursuit of something deeper or mm. studies of you study Buddhism, you mm -hmm. said, and non-duality. Mm -hmm. So how did that kind of get you from leaving your job to where, yeah. where you are now? Yeah. Also been kind of a long, a long and windy road. Um, I first got interested in spirituality about 10 years ago. Um, I started meditating because I heard on a podcast that it was good for your productivity that if you this is cla I think I did the same thing, honestly. <laughs> classic like tech bro mindset of trying to you know optimize um everything <laughs> so i i downloaded headspace the headspace app um which is a great app and i've used yep. it and i recommend it that was my first two <laughs> <laughs> and it was only meditating for i don't know five minutes a day or something or 10 minutes a day uh which coming from zero minutes a day is a huge is a huge change of course and i noticed and i was living in new york city at this time so very chaotic hectic nervous system you know angsty environment and i even in that five minutes a day i just noticed how much calmer and more peaceful and still my my life was and so it got me very very curious about wow okay how does this technology work how does like why is meditation why is it so effective and that got me you know headspace is kind of like the westernized or and like um yeah non i guess non-spiritual you know version of contemplative techniques which have go back thousands of years in buddhism and various hindu traditions and almost all religions have a form of meditation and so i got really interested in why like how how this works and it's like wow five minutes a day can do this much i wonder what actually devoting myself to it can do and what i learned was that basically the reason that we suffer that we are stressed and upset and drive ourselves crazy in many ways is that we are attached to to things we want we need things to be a certain way we need things to not be a certain way and we have this idea of how life needs to go and the control that we need to have and many different traditions would agree on this but that kind of fundamental need for control um, and attachment and craving is what causes suffering and so i went very deep down you know the buddhist rabbit hole and started learning about that that tradition and i was able to over the years kind of like get curious and relax my expectations and needs for my life to be a certain way and this really came into um like under the microscope when i had some chronic health issues in 2016 2017 2018 had very bad sinus infections and i had to have a bunch of surgeries 
and I was tired and weak and had all of these, um, yeah, had all of these kind of physical uh, issues. There were all these things kind of happening in my body. And that was, while it was unpleasant at times, it was also an amazing opportunity to question whether I am my body, whether I am the physical body. And that's like a fundamental um, invitation in, in Buddhism specifically, like a, you're invited to consider, are you actually your body? You know, is what conscious is, is you know, the, the famous saying is like, um, consciousness is not inside your body, your body is inside your consciousness. Mm. And so, you know, it, it really, that whole situation of the health issues helped me view like really deeply am you know am i solely my body and if my body decays which it's going to for for everyone sorry to sorry <laughs> to say you know what does that mean for me and like does that need to be a bad thing for me um so that was yeah that was a huge that was a huge part of it and the physical stuff and then on the more spiritual stuff I think where I got also kept coming back to, to Buddhism and non-duality was um, I, would ha I was having all of these successes in my career. I made money on Wall Street, and then I made money in the startup world, and then I made money at DocuSign and had success and accolades and all of these things that are supposedly part of the good life that we need to work very hard for or we're conditioned to work very hard for. And I kept waking up hollow and like not feeling that, not feeling fulfilled. The, the feelings, I would be excited or happy for a day or two or a week, and then the feeling would go away. And I would kind of be back to my baseline level of misery and wanting this and needing that and all of these things. And so I think that whole um, cycle and really seeing that cycle made me want to commit to like finding out what was behind it and find out what what I who I really am yeah I feel like it's such a path that like it kind of chooses you you know it's like you don't really choose it it chooses you and it's such a subtle little like thing that just starts with a curiosity and then ends up becoming so much more as you start to devote more energy to it mm. um and I think of even just that conversation about the body and like how I can't even imagine, yeah, the the battle of physical health that that must have been for you. But I think of the saying, I think some, one of our teachers in the yoga teacher training actually said, I am not my body and I am not without my body, mm. right? It's like, I, you're not solely your body as you're saying, yet you don't exist without your body. So it's like kind of this middle ground mm. of this isn't the entirety and totality of me, yet this is the only way that I can be in this world. And mm. so it's like kind of finding that mix of knowing that you're more than this, but you're also only this. And you get to like live through this kind of dichotomy of being a body, but also being more than a body in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The it's it's funny you say that because the the middle way is actually like a common phrase in Buddhism, and it's it basically refers to exactly that kind of you know not um, 
take the body. Like you shouldn't treat your body terribly and, you know, poison it and do all of those things, nor should you be so obsessed with it and attached to it and tied to it that, you know, your entire um, happiness like rises and falls depending on its condition because the body, like everything in existence, is is changing. The body is always changing. Every moment, everything is always changing. And that's kind of like the underlying um, tenets of Buddhism. Change is the only constant. And so how can we get comfortable and embrace and love that fact? Yeah, no, genuinely. Even in my Ayurveda studies, um, we speak to how the body is literally in such dynamic interaction with our mm. environments. Like, mm. I mean, we know this on a scientific level that our like cells are shedding and regenerating and dying and all of the things. And our body is literally like, it looks physical, but it's just like this dynamic entity that's interacting with our environment and it changes based on the food that we intake, the pollution in the air, mm -hmm. the stress that we're experiencing. And it's like all these little things that it's happening on such a microscopic level yeah. that all we see is like, this is my arm. But there's so much more to what we exist and, and all the factors that play into like what our body becomes. So it's, yeah, it's important not to be like so fully consumed by just like, yeah, like focusing only on the body. Yeah. I actually do though. I notice that we're kind of speaking to these terms like Buddhism, spirituality, and even a little bit of non-duality. Yeah. We're kind of dancing around. Yeah. But I want to like kind of clarify, like, can sure. we define these terms? Like, how would you define, I feel like this is a big question, but like, yeah. <laughs> how would you define spirituality? Oh man. Mm. Spirituality. I think the term that, that I use amongst my friends and in circles that I'm in is, is a devotion to the spiritual path, I think is like a common phrase. And to me, what that means is, a rejection of like the conventional what to me was the conventional path in life which is like you go to school you go to college you work hard you get a job you work at it for some time you retire you die you probably get you know married and have a couple kids along the way and that is like in at least where i was from in the states like the kind of the default path and where the spiritual path is is different is I think what you're putting at like the top of your what you are devoting yourself to. So in that path, default path that I laid out, you're more or less devoting yourself to like either capitalism or accumulating stuff or accumulating status or maybe another person. Um, and in the spiritual path or sp in spirituality more generally, I would say there is a devotion to something g much greater than like a power or a being or a consciousness greater than yourself. Um, yeah. Do you think that someone that's on that path, the more conventional path can still be spiritual? Hmm. I think I do. Th I think so. I, I do think so. Because um, I think I don't think I don't think you can tell from from externally looking at someone. I think sure. it's really what is their you know internal locus or their internal compass really. Um, 
because there is a long there is a tradition of um, in many different spiritual lineages of people being what's called householders, which means you are still a member of society, but at the same time, you're the thing that you're most devoted to is not your job or your house or your spouse even, but it's spiritual practice. And so, yes, some spiritual traditions say you need to go out into a cave and meditate for 20 years and get enlightened and then that's that, or go join a monastery or a convent or whatever. Um, but there is a way, in my view and my experience, to be kind of in the world, but not of the world, if you will, I think to quote the Bible, basically where you can like still exist and have a job and, you know, interact with parts of society, but that is not your MO. That is not why, what is driving you when you wake up every day. It's kind of a part of life that you just complete, just like you do the dishes or brush your teeth or whatever. There's, you know, maintenance activities, but they're what you're really after. Um, is, is something greater. Mm, yeah. And I even think to like the term that you use, the householders. And I think back to our training, in some of our teachings, we learned that our, our philosophy being non-dual, which is another term we can go into yeah. now, and then we'll come back to Buddhism, um, is actually kind of like a householder's tradition because it does allow that that kind of existence in terms of you don't have to devote your life to this spiritual path being going off and living on a monastery or whatever that looks like, but it's very accessible to the typical quote unquote householder. Yeah. So yeah, like let's go into non-duality. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm. So to me, in my understanding, non-duality is the belief that there is no separation between spirit and matter there is no separation between god and me um, it's a, another way of saying like we are all one we are all part of source um, there isn't a division between you know what is going on in this body and in this mind and you know the totality of consciousness and existence um, the metaphor i like to use with non-duality is um waves in the ocean. So when you're thinking dualistically, if you were thinking dualistically, let's pretend you were a wave in the ocean. Dualistic thinking would mean that you, the wave, thought that you were somehow separate from the entire ocean, which if we think about it is like is ridiculous to, <laughs> to, 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 to consider. So non-duality in many ways is the wave realizing that while yes, it arises and crashes and falls, that it is still literally a part of the entire vast ocean. Mm, that's a great metaphor. Mm, I wish I could say I invented it, but I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you partial credit. Partial credit, yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. I think that's a great way to describe non-duality to my understanding as well. I, I don't think I would add anything mm, to that. Thank you. Um, and then lastly, let's just like touch on Buddhism quickly. What, what yeah. is Buddhism? So Buddhism, um, there, are, there are a few different lineages of it that have kind of cropped up over the years. Um, I would say the, you know, the core, so the, there have been, so a Buddha is like a, a 
realized being, an, an enlightened being. And there are, have said, are said to have been many different Buddhas over, over the years. The specific Buddha that Buddhism references is Siddhartha Gautama, uh, known as the Buddha, um, who was a uh, prince, I believe, um, s- several thousand years ago, who uh, gave up all of his worldly possessions and went and meditated under a tree for some time and became enlightened. And um, his beliefs or some of his, his teachings and words are primarily what constitute Buddhism. And there are like the four noble truths of Buddhism, which um, effectively say that there is suffering. So, you know, there is suffering in life. And um, any of us can validate that mm-hmm. in your own direct experience. Um, suffering arises because we are uh, of our attachments, because we cling to or push away certain things. So why do we suffer? Um, we suffer because we want, you know, things to be a certain way and they're not, or we, or we want um, something, to, we want to have something that we don't have, or we want to get rid of something that we do have. Mm-hmm. And that's like the root of all suffering. Um, there's a way out of suffering. That's an important one. And the way out of suffering is following the Buddha's Eightfold Path, um, which effectively just TLDR is seeing yourself and reality clearly for what it is and seeing the non-duality of things, seeing the true nature of things and becoming aware and at peace with it. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's like, I'm pretty sure they call it Maya, right? Is illusion. So it's like kind of like the riddance of Maya. Yeah. Um, something that kind of came up for me in hearing you say that and just talking about like enlightenment, do you think that to be on the spiritual path means that you have to be like pursuing enlightenment or can you be on a spiritual path yet not pursuing enlightenment? Mm. I definitely, I think you can be on one and not necessarily be pursuing enlightenment. Um, but I do think that a path implies, kind of implies like a destination of, right. of sorts, you know? Um, and I would, um, yeah, I think there can be, there can also be different names. People can give different religions and different um, lineages can give different names for these things. But to me, enlightenment and what my understanding of it is, is just kind of um, seeing the true nature of reality and um yeah it's it's what what they say in buddhism is that enlightenment is not something to be achieved really but Mm -hmm. it's more of like once you let go of all the stuff that you've accumulated that that isn't serving you or that isn't true enlightenment is what remains um we are all in our core and our essences like enlightenment exists within each and every one of us um the goal is really just remembering who we are. It's not some external thing that we need to go, not a skill to be learned or cultivated. It's not like a, yeah, it's not a task to be checked off. It's really a remembering of what is already deep, deep within us. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's like, when I think of what spirituality kind of means to me or how the role is in my life, it's like, yeah, I'm not chasing like enlightenment to be able to like sit and be one the universe Mm. and like yeah like transcend 
um but it's more of like a yeah a way of living it's like this path isn't mm. really one that has a destination it's more of just like a path that i'm just walking and i'm on mm. and just like enjoying the ride you know and it kind of just like enhances the way that i do life when i can live with this essence of spirituality because it gives more meaning to the things that i do in life rather than it being like an escape from mm. what life is mm. you know it's like not trying to get away from this life as an obstacle to enlightenment but it's like enlightenment is like the essence of like i don't know i guess this is just my own like little definition yeah. it doesn't mean anything but it's like enlightenment is like living purposefully in life and like experiencing like fullness of life mm. yeah i love that i love that and a big piece of Buddhism, but also of, of some of these other non-dual faiths is, is the practicing presence and being with what is exactly as it is without judging it. Right. And so, um, yeah, in some ways, the whole metaphor of like a path and a goal and trying to get somewhere kind of confuses things because really what you want to do is just be perfectly present in every moment and appreciate yeah. the present moment for exactly what it is and see the perfection in it i mean that's really what this is all about like that's what when you you know if you can see the true nature of reality many have said that you realize that every moment is exactly perfect no matter what is going on if there's like construction going on outside of your house or if you're you know someone says something to you or if the body has disease or any number of things that we typically associate as being bad. Um, yeah, you one can learn to see see those as neither good nor bad, but just you know the universe kind of unfolding. It is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this whole like piece now, like you're into this spiritual path. You're into this largely because you followed your intuition mm -hmm. in that one moment, mm -hmm. leaving your job, and. I know that you do a lot of really powerful men's work and I want to kind of speak to this whole like sector yeah. <laughs> and I think I link this together because yeah you followed your intuition but I think that's something that's really like not given a lot of space for many men. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah men are not encouraged to use their intuition so like can we speak to a little bit of like what you've experienced or learned to be like some cultural norms around like what men can and cannot do and kind of like the effect of that oh yeah 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 this is a topic that's very alive for me and something that i've spent a lot of the last year really kind of going down going down this rabbit hole um, and like your whole life i guess yeah and i guess my whole <laughs> life to some extent it's been building up to this moment um yeah so this i i've had um i think for the first you know 35 years of my life i had kind of downloaded these scripts about what it meant to be a man and, and what, what it meant to be a good man and a desirable man and, and, all of, and all of these things. So I would say this was kind of conditioned from schooling, but also the workplace and society and culture and living in New York City and, and, all, and many, many, many different things. But my previous view of what it meant to be like yeah, a man in the world, good man or a whole man or whatever you want to call it, was like um, you were very emotionally, um, you didn't express a lot of emotions. Um, you were kind of like even keeled and able to like be 
strong and sturdy. Um, there was also um, a lack of connection to the body. I would say that I would I kind of viewed like being in touch with your body and expressing things through your body, dancing or or whatnot, as kind of more feminine and like something that that men um, don't do. Um, very much defined by um, you know your job and your like your job was your status and your status was your value in society and so it was like very clear like to be to climb that hierarchy you had to have like a good job make a lot of money and things like that um yeah i think those were really like the main um oh and and being very like uh logical and so um you that's where the intuition piece comes in because for me as a man, I was not, I felt it was a very, um, it felt very, um, it felt much more comfortable to be able to like have objective, rational, logical reasons for doing things instead of pointing to things like intuition or gut feel or something like that. Like that was what was really reinforced by, um, yeah, by society and, and what, what I was kind of pushed towards in my like decision making and how I lived my life. Mm -hmm. And like, would you say you're kind of in a place now where you're kind of liberating yourself from these norms mm. or do you still feel like somewhat tied to them? I think where I've come to is, um, and I've done a lot of like reading and research and have gone, have really dove in. Um, think what I have come to realize or think is that there are certain characteristics that are quintessentially or stereotypically like masculine. And there are certain characteristics that are quintessentially feminine. And the interesting thing is that each person, regardless of your gender or regardless of your essence, has both of those energies within you. And so my... I had been very much suppressing some of the more feminine, um, you know, traits or qualities, thinking that it would make me like a better man or more masculine if I kind of like denied those or negated those and only focused on like the, you know, logical, uh, unemotional, et cetera, pieces of it. But what I have come to realize is that in actually embracing it all becoming aware of it all and embracing it all and cultivating it all the masculine and the feminine within um it's it's really made me much more comfortable in my masculinity which is really kind of counterintuitive you wouldn't necessarily mm. think that that mm -hmm. like you know welcoming honoring and um, being okay with your feminine qualities making you like more comfortable and confident and um you know strong in many ways as a man but that's very much been been the case for me for the last year or so yeah and i mean like obviously i can't really like speak to this a lot because my lived experience is not as sure. a man yeah. <laughs> but i think this is such an important conversation to have because i even think of it from the women's perspective like we've gone through these kind of like movements i guess in our society not that recent but kind of like a little while ago mm -hmm. where there was the whole thing of like women 
kind of taking on a more masculine role and like that whole women empowerment of like yeah women can go out and make the money and women can like take on all these like masculine roles that are typically left to men in society um yet that never really happened the opposite way for men Mm. and so i feel like men have never actually been encouraged to take on more feminine roles and like still to this day like I feel like there's a whole stigma around like say a man staying home with the child Mm. or like these types of things that are traditionally given more feminine roles and so yeah I feel like these conversations are so important to be had because even like hearing you speak to it and like a couple random podcasts I've heard around these kind of topics and actually hearing a men's perspective is like yeah it's important for us all to be able to like just normalize this conversation yeah and i feel like it makes me question like yeah what do you think it is that we need in this space to like give men the support they need Mm. and help men live a little bit more of a balanced harmonious life with these kind of masculine and feminine energies Mm. yeah it's a deep it's a deep question um but one that i'm really interested in and, and curious about i think so the way that I see it is is kind of um, over the last, call it, fifty or sixty years. There's been like different different eras of masculinity. Um, I would say, you know, sixties and seventies, maybe some of the eighties. We had like the um, t- toxic masculinity, which which I think still exists to some extent to this day. But basically, um, a very uh, patriarchal and kind of exploitative and um, yeah, do- like men leading, ruling by by domination, kind of like exerting their effort and will via force and um, obviously a ton of stuff wrong and problematic with that for, for many people, for men, and, for women and men. Um, then, and there's a bunch of different theories as to why this has happened, but in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, you could maybe call it like an era of safer masculinity or healthy masculinity, um, which is which was a lot of equality in the workplace and in different gender roles and in um, you know all all kinds of parts of society where uh, women were were encouraged to um, and did kind of take on a lot of more traditionally masculine or male dominated roles in society and business and and things like that and while i think that there um well i think that there have been many great advances for that um i think for men it's kind of left men in many men i speak and i speak of this from my direct experience like we're kind of getting kind of confusing messages about how to be like a healthy or integrated man in in the world today and on the one hand um you know certain parts of society are saying to you know like lean in and um really uh i I guess there's there's kind of like um like in many parts of of society there's a lot of polarization like there's either you know men uh men and women need to be exactly 50 percent equal in every single regard to everything or you know a kind of like definitely toxic um hierarchical like men you know don't don't need women women should be property women are um you know just like inferior in many ways and my view is like that each of those things is actually quite wrong that men and women are 
um, and or masculine, you know, masculine and feminine energies are real. They're very different. They both bring different but beautiful things to the table and um, a place where men can get more in touch with their true essence and explore all parts of themselves and welcome them. That is what I think is needed because I think, you know, in my experience, I was suppressing a lot of my um, emotions, my connection with my body and, and just, you know, like just very confused about a lot of reasons what it meant to be, you know, what it meant to be a good man in the world. And so what I think, what do I think men need? I think um, what I found super helpful is like men's groups, men specific spaces where we can come together and connect and support each other and just like talk, talk this stuff out and have truly like safe spaces to explore these concepts and, um, you know, welcome, welcome all parts of ourselves. Yeah. Okay. I want to like put a pin there because this is something we'll come back to. But I was just thinking as you were speaking to like, I think also our definitions and understandings of these topics can change so drastically, like depending on the environments that we're exposed Mm. to and the people we're surrounded by. Right. Like I can only imagine that your idea of masculinity and what it means to be a man and even your experience of that has changed drastically from the corporate life that you lived and that whole experience versus like where we are now. I just think of like Ubudian men, like how the complete end of the spectrum. And like, I'll just, for anyone that doesn't know in Bali, where we are, um, there's like different cities or like cities, cities, cities. towns, and they all have their own like energy and vibe (laughs) and people and population. And it kind of like has this little like stigma around each Mm. place. And so like people that live in Changu, which is one of the cities are usually like hardworking. They're really driven. There's a lot of digital nomads and expats. And then there's Ubud, which is where we've been spending most of our time, both of us. And it's the more like spiritual center. So (laughs) we kind of like have a name for people that are called Ubudians (laughs) that are like the hyper spiritual archetype. Um, And so, yeah, anyways, the experience of being an Obudian man versus like in the New York corporate, like the thick of that world, like I can only imagine how different that experience was Mm. and like how much that shaped your understanding. So it's like, yeah, I think these things are still so alive, you know, like toxic toxic masculinity is still so alive, I'm sure, in many like environments and many like different little worlds and areas. Yet then there's these little communities like Ubud where like that kind of almost disappears to some degree. So yeah, it's like, I know that this is something that is very like prominent or is more prominent, I guess, in Ubud saying like having these men's groups, which I know you are part of and Mm -hmm. facilitate. Um, So like, yeah, what's kind of, what have you found is the impact of having that, that sort of support system Mm. and like, how can we kind of bring that into other areas of the world that like would actually really need it probably the most? Mm. Yeah. I would say the impact of um, that I've seen has been has been really dramatic um, and, and really positive. I think um, it just show it goes to show me that men are desperately craving these kinds of spaces. Um, 
and I'm in a few different men's circles here. Each of them is different, but all of them have kind of remarkably similar structures in that it's a, it's a very simple practice. It's like getting together, doing some kind of activity, and having some kind of sharing and, and connection. And the fact of how alive I feel after each of those um, shows me how cut off from that aliveness I am in so much of the rest of my week and my, and my lived experience. And I think, you know, having places where men can come together judgment-free, um, and I do think having it be men only is, um, does a lot from kind of narrowing distractions, I'll say. Um, there can be beautiful healing spaces where men and women and people of all, you know, um, types can, can kind of come together. But I think there's just something very unique and powerful and, and um, focusing about just getting men together um, in a, in a way where we can kind of like let our, let our guard down and not have to be, you know, not be worried about whatever women or other, other things that could, you know, potentially take away from, from the presence. Um, and yeah, so I found, I found those to be, to be really, really, um, impactful. I think, how can we bring this out elsewhere? Um, and that's something that I would love to work on, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, my hope is that, and what I'm seeing even, is that this, these, this movement for helping men specifically become more integrated or become more in touch with all parts of themselves, I think it's building momentum. And I think it is a trend that is um, increasing and there's like increased awareness and desire of it. And it's, you know, like any good uh, product or trend, I think it has, it could, um, has a viral component to it potentially, which is that if you go to one of these groups and, or at least this has been my experience, when I went, I felt so alive afterwards. I was like, oh my God, I need to do this, you know, every week or, or more. Like it was just so, um, there was just such a visceral pull to, be a part of that and to help and, and to use, um, yeah, I, f I feel like I was so, I got so much healing and nourishment out of that space that I, you know, just want not, want nothing more than to keep, keep that going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And hopefully it's like people that maybe will end up going back to these parts of the world where it's not so present in this like niched community of yeah. Ubud and yeah, just bring that with them and, and hopefully like, kind of take the walls down a little bit that are kind of built up between this more integrated self and mm. what masculinity is in these areas, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like why, why do you do it? Why mm. do you, why do you do these men's groups at all? What's the goal? <laughs> mm, the goal <laughs> always has to be a goal, right? <laughs> it's not worth doing if there's no goal. Um, There's a tie to spirituality with it, I would say, which is what I was talking about before about how we suffer and why we suffer. We're typically suffering because we have these stories about ourselves, about how life is supposed to be, about how we're supposed to feel, about how I need to do this in order to be loved, whatever you want to say. These are all stories, right? And 
so the so a big part of um, the spiritual path or awakening or whatever you want to call it is kind of unlearning those stories and realizing really investigating them, putting them under the microscope and realizing that they don't really pass muster. They're not really, they're not as um, required as we think to live, to live a good life, examining those stories. And for me, the most um, potent stories that I ever told myself were about my masculinity and what it meant to be a good, desirable man and what that meant from a, you know, my having my self-worth be determined by attention from women or from men of high status, what money and earning money meant to me as a man, what, you know, being liked meant to me from the context of a man, what, um, you know, showing emotion meant from in the context. And I had all of these stories around that. And so to me, unlearning a lot of those stories has been like one of the most radical accelerants in my spiritual path that I've, that I've ever had. It's been like, this is some of the deepest for me. It's just some of the deepest rooted conditioning is about, um, you know, what, what was my idea about my man, manliness, my masculinity or whatever. And how has that, how does that show up in, in my, you know, programming and it shows up in, in crazy in every conceivable possible way. And so why I've been, why I've been so fascinated and drawn on this work, drawn to this work is that my belief in these stories, wrong, wrongly believing these stories has just shaped so much of my life. It's like going on, you know, you know, going on this archeological expedition of like how understanding how my programming has shaped me and um yeah it's it's i find it um healing and endlessly fascinating at at the same time and ultimately it's allowing me to drop the stories and drop the suffering so what was the point when you were able to see that like these stories were in fact stories you know because mm. i think that takes like a lot of awareness to be able to actually step outside of the story itself other otherwise we all kind of are just inside of our own stories mm. right yeah yeah um man it's still it is still something that i certainly have not perfected i'm not i'm not enlightened um <laughs> yet um, yet <laughs> yeah keyword keyword we'll uh, revisit this conversation <laughs> when enlightened yeah, yeah. um but I think it is, um, I think meditation has helped a lot in those mm -hmm. stories because when you meditate, when you are forced to sit, um, you realize you can kind of see the mind a lot more objectively. You can see, you can sit, I mean, I've done meditation retreats where we meditate for eight hours a day and people always ask, oh, wouldn't you get bored on that? And I felt many emotions on these retreats, sadness, joy, physical pain, anxiety, never been bored mm. for even a minute on a meditation retreat. And I probably sat, you know, sat hundreds of hours of, of meditation on these retreats because the mind is, is just like the most powerful supercomputer that you could ever imagine. It is infinitely, infinitely spinning up 
these stories and it just never stops or seemingly mm-hmm. never stops hasn't stopped yet for me and so the the beauty of these retreats is that you see the mind as just this kind of like story creation machine and sitting in that you know laboratory if you will being able to observe it like that with no other distractions just seeing the mind going and going and going nonstop it allows you it gives you gives me the the observer the witness some distance from the mind and you can kind of say oh is this belief that is coming up you know real or is it just something that um that the mind is creating and i heard a quote somewhere that like a belief is just a thought that you repeatedly have over and over again you know and so like once you kind of see that the um the that the thoughts are arbitrary and sometimes nonsensical you can have a little bit of um distance from them um I was on a meditation retreat recently, and the, the teacher had a really good metaphor for the mind, which was he said, um, you know, the, the stomach is an organ and the brain is an organ. The mind is an is a organ, basically. And so the stomach, in order to create, to do its functions, has to excrete juices, right? There's digestive juices that go out and allow the stomach to function and do its job as it needs to do. The brain, the mind, in order to have cognition, also lets out, excretes arbitrary stuff. We just call them thoughts. And so mm-hmm. thoughts are just these kind of random um, uh, things that get you know, offset or pushed out by the mind. And in meditation, you, you'll observe this because thoughts will come up and you don't, you'll realize very quickly that you don't control your thoughts. You may think you do, but the, at the root level, when a thought emerges, it's just coming up into consciousness. Like you didn't decide to have that thought, just like you didn't decide to have your heart beat, you know, the last beat that it did. Right. Um, and so I think seeing, um, seeing stories as these arbitrary thoughts and getting very, very... Um, just having that experience enough over and over again helps you cling to them a little bit less. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to bring it back to a little last conversation on the, the men's yeah. groups and yeah. things. Um, I'm just curious about like your experience now breaking into this space and having these conversations and hosting these groups, facilitating, attending. Yeah. What have you found is like the stigma around the groups themselves and now this like kind of movement in terms of supporting men and like is there any backlash against it or have you faced any challenges going into this space mm. i mean i don't know that i've experienced this one super directly but it's some pushback that i've heard of like um you know um basically talking about how marginalized or in trouble or um, wounded certain other groups are, you know, like men, you know, men don't need, I mean, other people need help more than men do kind of a version, a version of that. And, um, you know, I can only speak, I'm only speaking from my own direct experience and honestly my own, um, where I think my gifts and my offerings best 
sit and to who whom they can most help. And to me, it's really like I've gone through it and I felt the profound transformative effect of it myself. And so that's why I want to offer, you know, this and why, and why I think it's needed. But I've actually been really surprised, and maybe it's because I'm in Ubud, <laughs> <laughs> um, but how almost everyone is just like in agreement that many, many people I talk to, you know, men, women, whomever, like, wow, like, yeah, men, it is a tough time to be a man. Sure, it's probably a tough time to be a woman. It's a tough time to be, you know, all, all kinds of, of people, I'm sure. But um, I just know from my direct experience there that, um, that yeah, that, 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 um, that, 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 that is very true. I think other um, either surprising things or, or pushback, um, hmm. I think that... Um, I think there is, it's interesting because the style and structure and quality of, of different practitioners maybe in the space can be very, can be varied, can be quite, quite varied. And so I think like in any, um, you know, in any kind of modality, making sure that you're, that the, that there's integrity in the people that you're working with and practicing with. And that um, I think just finding like, someone or a group that you align with is is really really important um because like i said or like we said before you know there can be um there can be grifters in all in all in all areas and like it is a big problem and there could potentially be big money associated with solving it and a lot understandably a lot of people practitioners are interested in promoting themselves and so you know are there um, sometimes the desire for self-promotion or like the allure of you know certain um, success, fame, money, whatever can can compromise ethics? Mm -hmm. I would say. So I think yeah, in making ensuring that there is integrity is also a big piece of this world that I'm really interested in in making sure exists, um, and that's why I, for me, why bringing the the non-dual component to it is so important because um, a lot of things that you would maybe hear of in like the manosphere, I suppose as it's called, uh, <laughs> manosphere, men's work world is like using men's work to either make more money or get more women or, you know, have more, have better sex or get a better job or whatever, um, have more friends. And each of those, like, if, you know, the Buddha saw that, we, he would just probably just, like, laugh because it's so clear that it's you're still perpetuating the cycle of suffering because, oh, you think that, like, once you get married or once you make a million dollars or once you have such and such friends that you'll be, that you'll have abiding peace and abiding happiness? Like, of course, of course not. So to me, the framing it more as like an unlearning or a deconditioning of mm -hmm. the stories that we've been taught and an opportunity to like look at what is really in there, what is really going on. That's the approach that, that I want to take in my kind of foray into that world. Yeah, I love the way that you're, I can see the way your mind works in such like a businessy kind of mm. way, of <laughs> course. Yeah, I love the way that you're bringing this like spirituality and this essence into this work in a place like yeah 
it's like we were talking about at the beginning intuition doesn't really like exist for men that much so it's like or it doesn't exist it's not encouraged for men yeah, yeah. um so it's like yeah bringing this spiritual aspect into these spaces and normalizing that and um yeah it's, it just gives it a little bit of a deeper intention and meaning to the work um and i think also to that first point that you mentioned about like that struggle of oh yeah like men don't need support men are already so like superiorized in our culture right, it's right. like yeah, of course, that's like a delicate conversation to have because there are so many marginalized groups, but it's like you touched on, like everyone has their own form of suffering, you know, and I think it's important not to minimalize men's suffering just because there's other people that are suffering in a different way. And like, yeah, sure, maybe men being in power and some of these like toxic masculine traits have caused other groups suffering, but I, yeah, I think it's still so important to give everybody the kind of like compassion and that mm. gift of being able to be helped and be seen and heard in their struggles. So I love that this is something that's starting to become a trend and something that mm. you're getting into. And I appreciate the work that you're doing in this yeah. space because, you know, ultimately, too, I mean, if it is men that are in power, then it's also extra important for men to have this support and have yeah. this integration of mind, body, spirit and like be able to feel like they can emotionally express and be safe in the world because then maybe the power that they have wouldn't actually be so harmful in some situations yeah yeah i, I love that yeah. I, I definitely agree yeah so i feel like i don't know kind of like wrapping up the whole conversation yeah. is there anything you'd like to leave with or anything you feel like hasn't been fully concluded or completed in this conversation mm. you know one thing that i think came that that has just been coming to mind is around um the masculine and feminine energy and like men men and women and i think that sometimes we can be a little bit um fast and loose with the wording and automatically jump to like masculine is man feminine is woman and i would say what i have experienced myself and what I think is is can be useful in this is, um, like I said before, the acknowledgement that um, we all have both parts of us internally, and there can, and there can be men with a more feminine essence and women with a more masculine essence, and that's totally totally fine. Um, my hope, my invitation, and what I think can really um, lead to the most most benefit in this space is figuring out what one's true essence is, where one falls kind of on that spectrum and just living and living a life that is in harmony with that. And I think it's, um, you know, to take relationships, for example, like there's, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, a man assuming traditionally feminine gender role, role and a woman assuming traditionally masculine gender roles. Um, what it where it can get tricky is if either party is doing that and their essence is not aligned with that mm. if you are a man with a typically masculine essence but be, but you know having to spend more time performing those feminine roles and vice versa for the women so i don't think that um i certainly don't believe that there's anything like cut and dry or black and white about you know men always need to perform like 
98% of the masculine roles in a relationship and embody 98% masculinity and women for femininity. But I think it's really um, much more important to know thyself and know what one's own internal essence is. And that can be, you know, it's that can only be done through exploration and, you know, feeling into it and things like that and just living in alignment with that. That's really um, the medicine and the key that I would say. So I wanted to put that little disclaimer or like, um, you know, double click on that a little bit because I do think it can be, um, it's easy shorthand to just, you know, equate masculine men, feminine women, but I do believe and acknowledge that, you know, each of us has, can have, um, can have a lot, uh, a more balanced mix perhaps in, internally than what the traditional gender roles might be. Mm, yeah. I love that. That's a great way to wrap up the conversation on these energies and yeah. these roles and things. So, yeah. yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, Alex. Yeah. Um, how can people connect with you or connect with any work that you're doing now yes. or in the future? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, I appreciate it. I have a few different offerings that I will be releasing very soon, maybe by the time this gets out into the world. Um, best way would be on Instagram. I have just rebranded my handle. Ooh, uh, I don't even think I know this. Not. <laughs> okay. Integrated Alex is, cool. is the new Instagram handle. So find me there. Integrated Alex. Uh, also on Twitter, Integrated Alex as well. And yeah, I will be um, have a few potential different offerings coming out. Um, newsletter, men's group, and some other exciting stuff. So it's very clear that this is the route that I think my want this uh my professional journey to take i'm um, helping helping in this in this work and so um for more insight info and just to connect i would love to uh see you see you there mm, awesome i love it i can feel the excitement about this work so mm. i'm excited for you i'm excited for anyone that chooses to connect with alex and yeah you'll find any future offerings there too i'm sure yeah. okay beautiful well thanks alex thank you so much yeah. always appreciate it namaste Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Courage Project podcast. I hope you gained something from mine and Alex's conversation. If you did, please let us know on Instagram by sharing to your stories and tagging us. Or even just send me a DM on Instagram. I get so excited to receive messages and know who's listening in to these conversations. Now, until next time, I am wishing you the most beautiful day ahead whenever you're listening in, and I will see you in the next episode. Okay, bye!